0: Uh, let's take a quick poll. After the uh, the last three weeks of what it means to die well, who still wants to follow Jesus? Lots of dying happening in this place as we've been exploring in this Lenten season uh, what it means actually to die well. In a season of purposeful reflection, we are attempting to let the words of Jesus actually sink in when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. You know, these these words of Jesus are spoken in the shadowy certainty of what is to come of Jesus, who will lose His life, uh, not to save His own, but rather to save the life of all those who will believe in Him. You know, our lives, friends, our lives of dying well are always in the shadow of the One who endured the cross, who scorned its shame, and who is now seated at the right hand of God. And in order to drive home his point, Jesus would simply ask rhetorically, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? See, walking in the way of Jesus is dying well. It is dying to ourselves, to our preconceptions of God's work, dying to our arrogance and to the supremacy of reason, dying even to our past lives, all of this dying so that we might live. And today, friends, today is no different. Jesus, with uncanny accuracy, drills down into the life of a rich man. But in earnest, this text is not really about money. It is about something much, much deeper, and it cuts to the heart of a pernicious way of thinking and being, a thinking and being that, while evident in all people, is particularly rampant among American Christians. There is this thing that's baked into the founding ethos of our country, and it is amplified by our affluence, And I suspect that for some of us, uh, this message will hit a little too close to home. So I'll look forward to your emails on Monday morning. You know, Jesus is gonna challenge us actually, and challenge the culture, and the way the culture tells us to think and behave. And Jesus is gonna demand that we die. Uh, A death to the cultural patterns that whether we know it or not, we've adopted, and many of us are already living out. So, let's get to the dying. This is Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 17. You'll wanna grab a Bible, the one you brought, the one we provide, and let's get to Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. Now, as you find that, a little bit of context, because truthfully, The text which comes immediately before what Deanne just read, immediately before verse 17, that text which comes immediately before it is, I think, the kind of app that's running in the background here. It is the filter through which our text today, the one Deanne read, we want to hear that through the text that comes immediately before it. So the scene is quite simple. Uh, people were bringing little kids to Jesus, and the disciples rebuked them because, well, the disciples didn't think that little children were worth Jesus' time. Now, just, just so we're clear, uh, the, the disciples aren't really doing anything outside of the cultural norm. Uh, at the time, kids didn't have status in the ancient Near East. So culturally, culturally, the, the, they weren't actually worth the time of a renowned rabbi. And so the disciples aren't being particularly mean, although that's probably how we hear it. They're just acting out their cultural norms. Now pay attention because Jesus is going to ask the disciples to put to death those cultural norms in favor of a new economy, in favor of, of God's kingdom. So here's what he says to them. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In other words, and this is really, really important, church, so I want you to listen. Uh, There is something about the way little children think and behave. There is something about the way little children think and behave that must be embraced by anyone, by anyone who wants to receive God's kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. There is is something about the way little children think and behave that must be embraced by anyone who wants to receive God's kingdom. Now, I want us to hold on to this question. How do little children think and behave as we dive into the text that we heard read just moments ago? So Jesus, right? Jesus is about to get moving. When a man runs up to him, he bows down in an act of respect. And then he asks this question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let me say from the get go, I I actually appreciate the methodology of this dude. Like he just wants to get right to it. Like, Jesus, let's cut through all of the parables, all of the healings, all the long teaching, right? I'm simply interested in the thing I have to do. Like, just, just give me that. I don't need fluff. I don't need fancy stories with, you know, sheep and shepherds, with priests and Levites and Samaritans. I don't, I don't need word puzzles about seeds and soils. Like, like, just bottom line it for me. Now, I appreciate that because there are people who after church basically say the same thing like, hey, pastor, that was really good, but could you just just bottom line it for me? Like, what what were you saying in like one sentence? Like, I appreciate what he's trying to do. Uh, Essentially, I think this dude is looking for the silver bullet. Now, most of us, interestingly, are not that different from this guy. We're all looking for some kind of silver bullet, right? We're looking for the right kitchen appliance that is gonna make making dinner a super breeze. And before we know it, we have all these small appliances in our kitchen taking up all of our counter space because we wanted the silver bullet. Or we're looking for the for the right app on our phone or our tablet that will help us manage our family's finances. We're looking for the for the best way to keep track of all the to-dos, the exact right kind of planner, which is, by the way, paper, until something digital becomes better, and then it's digital, but actually it's just paper, right? That's the silver bullet. Go to any physical bookstore or browse Amazon if you want to, and you will find an endless sea of books written with the silver bullet in mind. Good teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm I'm looking for the bottom line, silver bullet it for me. Now it's a simple question and one expects a simple answer, but Jesus, Jesus answers with an awkward, albeit illustrative response. He says this, why do you call me good? I mean, no one is good except God alone. Now, truthfully, and this is interesting, Jesus Jesus could have stopped right here because honestly he's said now everything that we need to know. But the answer to the man's simple question is actually rather quite complex, and because this is true, Jesus wants to take him on a journey, on a journey towards dying. So let's keep going, here's what Jesus says to him. He says, well, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shouldn't commit adultery, you shall not steal, not give false testimony, you shouldn't defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declares, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Again, pause for just a second. Jesus Jesus is running a list that is basically the back half of the Ten Commandments. In fact, it's, it's all the commands of God about how it is we relate to one another. And no doubt, this dude is running through the list in his head, right? He's saying, well, I haven't murdered anybody, haven't committed adultery, haven't stolen anything, haven't borne false witness, I care for my mother and my father, like check, 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 check. But here's the interesting question to me. If he's kept all of these since he was a boy. If he's known the law since he was young and he's confident that he has kept the law, then why ask the question of Jesus, what must I do? Now perhaps it is just a man who is looking for the silver bullets or Or he's just checking to make sure that all of his check boxes are in fact checked. Or perhaps, perhaps he has a a deep sense that there is something more. Or, or maybe he asks because he earnestly seeks the wisdom of Jesus. Perhaps he earnestly asks because he wants to live in God's kingdom. Now, church, I I personally suspect the last, that this is a man who is earnestly seeking God's kingdom, who wants desperately to live in God's economy. Why? Because of verse 21. Let's look at that one together. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now interestingly, he's the only person, the only person in the entire Gospel of Mark who is singled out as being loved by Jesus. It's the only person in the entire Gospel of Mark who's singled out for being loved by Jesus. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, I I love that you're asking this question. I love that you want to know what it means to live in God's kingdom. I love that you are asking. I, I love that you want to know about God's economy on earth. I love that. But, and this is where we have to pay attention. Jesus says one thing, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This moment of Jesus looking at him and loving him, this is the heart of the reading today. And it illustrates, church, that there is a big difference, a big difference between being a listener of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus means dying well. See, Jesus is saying, no one, no one is good, even as he looks at this man and loves him. In love, Jesus is reminding him that he has a problem that he can't solve, that he has a a condition of brokenness, that that he has a heart problem. In love, Jesus is providing a mirror that the man can look into to see the problem. Jesus, with the kind of scalpel of of both love and challenge brings into light what I suspect the man would rather keep in the dark, that his wealth has become God to him, that he has put all of his trust and love in his finances, that he has become dependent on that which affords him, by the way, title and privilege and a level of independence. But, but, a child has none of these things. And unless we want to enter into the kingdom like a little child, we don't get in. Remember, Jesus says, there is something about the way little children both think and behave that anyone, anyone wanting to get into God's kingdom must embrace. One cannot work their way into the kingdom. Jesus looked at the man and loved him. And in love says, you have a problem. There's nothing actually that you can do that's going to get you into the kingdom. And you have been resting and trusting and loving the things of your wealth for far too long. You're trusting in it, dependent on it. No matter how good you've done with those finances, no matter what it's afforded you, no one is good, and no one gets in unless they think and behave like little children. He looked at him and loved him. See, Jesus wants someone who dies to following the rules but lives in utter dependence on God's grace. He wants a child who's gonna die to his own way and live in the way. He wants someone who dies to independence and lives in interdependence. He wants someone who dies to individual autonomy and lives in communal generosity. He wants a a child who is utterly and totally dependent on him. He looked at him, and he loved him. And in love takes this man on a journey towards dying. Well, Jesus looks at us, And loves us and in love he holds up a mirror to us so that we can see those things that we would rather keep hidden we bring to light the things that we would rather keep in the dark Jesus holds up a mirror to us in love and says you have a problem and it is a problem that you can't solve You have a problem, you have a a condition of brokenness. There's there's no way you can work yourself into the kingdom, no matter how independent you think you are. Jesus looks at us and loves us. See, if, if we want abundant life in the kingdom, then our Individual autonomy, our sense of independence has to die. Now, I want to tread very lightly here because I think having autonomy is a little bit of a, of a sticky wicked, maybe a double-edged sword, right? Autonomy means that we have the, the power or the freedom to follow our own heart, that we can pursue a course of action regardless of anybody else's opinion. And that is, friends, that is a little bit of a sticky wicket. It is a little bit of a double-edged sword because because on one hand, having autonomy is quite healthy. Having a sense that that we are free to make decisions that are guided by our own thoughts and our own feelings does reinforce a sense of self. And for those of us who work in any kind of organization, we know that when one is one is given autonomy or responsibility for making decisions and the ability to stand behind those decisions given a task, That it drives actually involvement. It often leads to innovation and definitely increases job satisfaction. So on one hand, autonomy is healthy. But as I said at the beginning, I'll say again, That there is a pernicious way of thinking baked into the American experience, one of rugged individualism, one of independence from anybody else. If you want to push the buttons of Americans, you tell them they don't have individual choice. And that cultural norm, which is baked into our country, has seeped its way into our faith life. And we begin to believe that we have a certain kind of autonomy, a certain kind of independence, that we don't actually need anybody else to get it done. You really want to ruffle American Christians, you tell them they don't have a choice. But Jesus looks at us and loves us, and he holds a mirror to us to remind us that we have a problem and a brokenness that can't be solved. No amount of independence is gonna get you to the kingdom of heaven. In fact, you need dependence. You need to think and act like a little child to receive the kingdom of God. How beautiful that we had Amelia this morning here. A reminder of what it looks like to be dependent. Child to parents. Jesus looks at the rich man and loves him. He looks at us and loves us. And he's looking to see death. Death in our independence, in our individual autonomy, and to see, friends, utter and total dependence on our Father in heaven. Now, the rich man, we are told, goes away, and he goes away sad because he has great wealth, because Jesus held up that mirror to the reality of his brokenness. And it just befuddles the disciples. Like, who can get into the kingdom if this guy can't get into the kingdom? Clearly, he's got blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And Jesus says to the disciples, and catch this, he says, with humanity, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then Peter speaks up, always the one to talk first. right? He says, well, we've, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, verse 29, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. You see, when you die to that individual autonomy... When you die to that independence, Jesus is promising more than you can possibly imagine. And how can he make that promise here in Mark 10? Because Jesus already knows that he is going to live dependent to the Father's will. You know, Jesus could have at any point in time sort of stepped away from the plan that was God the Father's. In fact, in the garden, he prays for it. Man, if it's not your will, Lord, if you could just take this away from me, then I would love that. But not my will. Not my way, Jesus says. Even the Son of God would say, your way. Let me be dependent on that. Knowing that that way would lead to a cross to death, and to burial. But the good news, friends, the good news in Jesus is that death isn't the end. Life is. We celebrate as Easter people. We know that Jesus isn't in the grave, that he has risen from the dead. And we live in that new life. Jesus is promising as much here in Mark chapter 10. When you die to this, You get this, when you die to the things of brothers and sisters of this world, you will get a family beyond compare, a hundred times what you had. And you will live in this communal generosity. You will live together shoulder to shoulder. You will gain homes, Jesus says, places of hospitality and peace. You'll gain mothers, people who can spiritually disciple you in the journey. You're going to gain kids, people that you get to disciple in the journey. You gain sisters and brothers, people who are going to stand shoulder to shoulder with you as we live out what it means to walk with everyday people every day. And Jesus says you're going to get fields, places of provision that will provide for your every need, and it'll be a hundred times what you can imagine. I asked at the beginning, we should ask again, who still wants to follow Jesus? There's a lot of dying happening in this place. But with death comes life. Those, Jesus says, who lose their life for me and for the gospel's sake will find it. Jesus looks at the rich man and loves him. He looks at us and loves us. And He invites us, friends, to die well to individual autonomy for the sake of dependence, utter and total dependence on Him. May God strengthen us to that end today and every day. Amen? Amen. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.